0: Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez.
1: Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 205 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, ...by my amazing co-host Victor Rodriguez. And today we'll be discussing... ...Cain Velasquez finally making bail. Firas Zahabi's claims about Adesanya's... ...suspicious gyno. The investigation into the nefarious... ...betting activity swirling around... ...a recent UFC card. And we'll be previewing... ...select fights from UFC 281. Victor... How amped are you for UFC 281? Because this is a pretty damn good
2: card. I am pretty amped. I am pretty amped. And I'm really, more than anything, I think I'm more uh, I'm more excited about some of the fights on the undercard than I expected. Um, I kind of just took a quick look at it two days ago. I'm like, oh, that's right. They got this here. So it's good to see that a pay-per-view is getting that kind of even though obviously it's not gonna be the pay-per-view portion, right? But it's nice to see an event bolstered by fun bouts and potential um what do you call it? You know, potential contenders, people that could maybe be moving up and people that have made a bit of noise. I think it's actually pretty cool. It's good to see Andre Petrosky and, and Wellington Terman. It's good to see Silvana Gomez Juarez. uh it, it, it's good to see uh um uh, oh goodness, uh Sung Wu Choi. So it's it's nice. It's it's a good thing to see these these names kinda Get uh, put together. They divisionally make sense from an action perspective. It's good. So, yeah, I, I think this is has the makings of being a very memorable event.
1: Indeed, there are a lot of fights, top heavy, of course, that matter. There are a lot of very important fights in the division for title contention. And there's a lot of really fun fights on the other end. They made this card fun from top to bottom, but they also made it relevant. And that's that's the most important thing. So you really do feel like you're getting some meat when you pay your 80 bucks for this card.
2: Oh, Jesus. $80. Don't remind me. go <laughs>
1: All right, so we are going to get into our first news story, and it's a great one. Cain Velasquez has finally been granted bail. Now, if you remember, back in February, Velasquez was in a prolonged vehicle chase in Santa Clara County and shot a guy that was actually not the person he was aiming for. There is an ongoing case against... Harry Gularte. And Harry Gularte's stepfather, Paul Bender, was driving a truck that Cain Velasquez was chasing, and he fired his weapon into the truck, aiming for Harry Gularte, but he ended up injuring his stepfather instead. He shot him in the leg. Uh, It was a non-life-threatening wound. However, you know, Cain Velasquez went to jail for our a variety of charges. Anyways, in those long eight months since he was put in jail, he has been denied bail on three separate occasions before this by presiding judge Shalina Brown. Um, with Brown positing that given the uncontrolled and public nature of Velasquez's initial attack on Galarte, that he posed too significant a danger to both Galarte and the public to be released ahead of the trial. Now, in the two-day pretrial hearing on November 7th and 8th under Judge Arthur Bocanegra, It seems that the court has changed their tune. And so they granted him his release on a $1 million bond. And as terms of his release, he will be required to comply with GPS tracking and must maintain a distance of at least 300 yards from Harry Galarte and his parents, Patricia Galarte and Paul Bender. Velasquez will also be required to undergo CTE outpatient treatment since his lawyer, Mark Garagos, has argued that the condition may have possibly played a role in the former fighter's actions. And I quote, Mr. Velasquez, I would not release you if I was not convinced that upon a release at this time, eight months later, You would be a danger to Harry Galarte primarily, Patricia Galarte, or Paul Bender, Judge Bocanegra told Velasquez in court. If you are as devoted a husband and father, I'm confident and have to believe you will not jeopardize anything that would take you away from your son, your daughter, your family. I hope you don't prove me wrong. Now, there's no word yet on when Velasquez's case will be brought to trial, but at least until then, it looks like the 40-year-old former champion will get to await the courts back home and out of custody. And this is a good thing. I mean... We all know the the allegations and why Harry Gallarte is in, uh, in another court case. He's involved in another court case. It's over, uh, I believe, uh, sexual abuse towards a minor, or sexual assault towards a minor. And I believe that one of the children that he's accused of assaulting is a relative of Cain Velasquez. So, I mean. Was he right in doing this? No, obviously, we did not take the law into our own hands. Um, will a lot of parents empathize and sympathize with him? Of course they will. I'm just glad to see him get out. You know, I, I, I don't feel that he's a flight risk. And obviously, the courts have determined that as well. Victor, your thoughts?
2: Okay, here's what's happening right now. All right. This whole case has personally made me really sad, you know, more than anything for the victim in this situation, whom, you know, I I guess I guess the way that a lot of people are looking at this is what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Right. I mean, if the person who committed this crime that set Cain on to these acts, then I suppose it's only fair for Cain to be eligible for bail as well, in turn, and that he be allowed to at least spend some time with his family. And he's not out of the woods yet. Bail does not equate freedom in an unconditional manner. I think that the terms that they stipulated in terms of being, you know, the, the restraining order, if you want to consider it that, you know, the, the distance that he is to... um to have from uh, Gularte. I think that's more than fair and reasonable. He's got no incentive and gains nothing by trying to get another crack at the guy uh, being monitored. Well, it is a problem, but you do have the trade off of, I don't know, being home, being a dad to your kids, being a husband, your wife, not having to deal with all this other stuff. You know, it, it, it's not like. I don't feel that, they, that anything terribly unreasonable has been asked of him, and I suspect that it has to do with a combination of situations involving who he's represented by, a guy who's uh, been a lawyer for many superstars, who knows the California legal system in and out, and who's been effective in getting some pretty heinous people out of some bad situations. I suspect that when it comes to someone who is not heinous, as Kane has demonstrated himself to be, that it would probably be fairly uh, simpler – for him to accomplish something that would make things a little, um, a little more amenable. Um, there is still a potential that Cain will do time. He very well might, and I, I really think that this is something I've been noticing since the beginning. People just been like, "No, free him, get him out of there immediately." That's right away. No, folks, I know that if you're listening to this and you're you, you're familiar with us and you know how we do things and and have more or less what sort of leanings we have in certain situations from a moral and ethical. Uh, Moral and ethical perspective. You kind of have an idea that, you know, yeah, look, uh, this this was a terrible thing that happened. But legally, legally, what Kane did, man, that's a problem. Yeah. You you went on a high speed chase. You went and took shots at another vehicle. You rammed that vehicle multiple times. What are the odds that he could have potentially shot at or rammed into a vehicle containing or run over someone else's kid. And that's, I think the deal that this is the, the element that has been lost in a lot of the conversation. The part of it that's been most upsetting to me is seeing people be like, we didn't do anything wrong. He should get out. Like, okay, listen, I empathize with where he's coming from. Believe me, I do, whether I would be a parent or not, I get it. But at the same time, man, you know, he, the way he did that, from Again, even though I, I understand the impetus to to get in your car and go out there and, and try to do something, uh, even though it would not have prevented or undone what was done to his kid, I get it. And that's really what ultimately stings the most. Here's a dude who tried to do what a lot of dads would do in a situation like this, or at least think of doing. And he ran with it. and. Uh, as unfortunate as all as all of this has been, um, I would imagine that he's got some sort of good behavior thing going on. He's not a guy who's known for being a troublemaker or a knucklehead. I would also imagine that keeping his nose clean plus having a track record with no criminal uh, elements that we're aware of that we're familiar with uh, having a lot of support that's a that sometimes kind of helps as a barometer for some of these things i'm not sure how much that'll influence a judge or or, or a city official uh, a prosecutor or, you know anybody who would be in, in those uh, in, in that kind of spot to um, have any sort of influence but Fine. You know, in the end, the wrong person got hurt. And that's another thing that we'll have to contend with later. Kane will have to deal with that on his own, I would imagine. And I predict that there's going to be some sort of civil lawsuit after the fact in which she will, and as is his right, go after Kane legally for damages for shooting him uh, in in a situation where he was not the intended target. He's probably going to do time, but at least at least for now, at least for now, he's home. And that, that counts for a lot. So, I, you know, it's, it's, it, it breaks your heart to see all this, man, this could have gone so much worse. What if he'd actually killed the old guy? We wouldn't be having this combo right now. He ain't going home. He ain't doing shit, but sitting in a cell after that, who knows for how long, and it wouldn't have fixed the thing. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm really conflicted about how all this went on, but at the very least we have something of a partial sigh of relief for some time. And that's, that's, I think, uh, I, I don't know if that's the best way for this to, uh, for this to have gone up until now, but we'll take what we can get.
1: Indeed, indeed, I couldn't agree more. You very eloquently stated what I think a lot of us are feeling.
2: Yeah, well, you know, don't get, don't be too impressed. I mean, listen, <laughs> just because I got a decent vocabulary, it don't mean I'm that smart. All right, as I always say. I'm not as dumb as I look, but I'm not as smart as I sound. So let's not get carried away. I will disappoint you folks. Just uh, just bear with me here because you <laughs> we're going to make a very, very abrupt pivot uh <laughs> as we will discuss another a much more a much more minor, thank God, a much more minor uh controversy in the sport where Coach Extraordinaire Faraz Zahabi has uh been talking a little bit more here about something that has been addressed previously, something that's been brought up regarding middleweight champion Israel Adesanya. I'd like to remind you folks, for those who do remember, and if, of course, you're uninitiated in the matter, I guess this will serve as something of a crash course, to a word known as, it's a word, it's a beautiful little word called gynecomastia. Are you familiar with that word? Well, you should be. Uh, it's been also referred to as man boobs and whatnot. It's when you have a bit of fatty tissue or breast tissue that is developed in men. I should know. I had something uh, like a mild case of that and actually have a friend who had surgery to remove his in his teen years. Um, it's not cute. It's not pretty. But a lot of the time it is and has been associated with use of performance enhancing drugs, especially those of the hormonal variety. So... Uh, Yeah, this was this was something that Adesanya has addressed before. He said my pituitary gland was checked, hormone levels are fine, estrogen and testosterone. Yesterday we had an ultrasound and a mammogram. I had one for the first time, which my God, he must have been insufferable hearing that. That should have been caught on camera. I would imagine it would be hilarious. To be honest, it might have just been unhealthy living a little bit, like smoking weed. That's where the doctor from the UFC said. He said, I need to stop, but I'm not stopping. I'm just going to slow down on the smoking weed. Well, I mean, if that's what the doctor's saying from the UFC, I want a second opinion because otherwise we'd be Dolly Parton up in this bitch. But back to this matter at hand, uh, it turns out the Faraz Ahavi was talking about this and something that he heard and something that he processed. And, well, I mean, I don't know how I feel about this, but, quote, I heard one doctor give an analysis. One doctor was saying – he's a doctor who does a lot of famous videos. And he's like, let me give you my thoughts on the gyno. He said, well, it could be from a punch. He was punched in the chest and he got some tissue damage. I've been punched in the chest. I've seen countless boxing rounds with MMA gloves, boxing gloves. I've seen countless fights. I've never seen somebody get punched to the chest and then have gyno. I've never seen it. I've never seen a guy walk in the ring, walk out with an inflamed breast. Or his next fight, his breast is inflamed because he got punched in the chest. Never. So in my mind, there's only one reason for this. There's only one group that has this problem. There's only one group. I just don't get it. What other possibility could it be? Could there be? For me, I have no explanation. I have no idea. OK, man, listen, you don't get to do that shit. I, I don't I don't understand how you're going to be there like there's only one way. I don't know what it is, but there's only one way and there's only one group. Well, you're casting a blanket accusation not against an entire group of people. Without anything to back that up, without anything to substantiate it. I mean it's not like Volkanovski and Riddell and uh, you know, it's not like all of these guys and Dan Hooker. Like they don't all have gyno. So why is that happening? What, because they're all lean? Because they're all ripped? Well, guess what? Most of the guys south of light heavyweight generally have very lean physiques. And the fact that you have one guy doesn't mean that you should be given any sort of license To smear an entire group accusing them of something that you know people are going to hound them over because people do not take kindly to performance enhancement drugs. For the record, and this is just me personally speaking for myself, not anybody else, I frankly don't give a shit. Steroids, I mean – I, I'm, I'm over it anymore. USADA, you can do away with it. I frankly do not care. But in terms of how this can damage a reputation or how this can get someone in trouble, yeah, I do care because you don't get to do this sort of thing. That is incredibly irresponsible for someone who has the platform that he has, that has the bit of influence that he has and who has fighters under his care for him to say that because you know who was accused of having that when a bit of guy was noticed in one of his fighters? Farazahabi had George St. Pierre yes. under his tutelage. And he had some funny-looking titties a little bit ago, too. So, I mean, I don't know. Is that something that we're going to smear the entire team with? Was Rory using? Is Ryan Hall using? Do you see where this goes? you understand where this is going, folks? It just doesn't – it's not the right way to go about this. If you have doubts or you have concerns, at the very least, have the convictions. I know Farras is a guy who's got some pretty big balls. You can have the courage of your conviction to put your stamp on and say, hey, I think these guys are using. Say that. Say that with your whole chest, your whole non-inflamed chest. Don't play this fucking bullshit where you're hiding behind the bush and being like, I don't know. You don't need to do that, man. There's no absolutely nothing to be gained by that. I'm fine with him giving his opinion. I have no problem with him discussing another man's chesticles. He's, he's free and, and clear to do any of that, whichever way he chooses. But you don't get to do it like this and not expect people to be like, dude, come on, man, that's foul. Steffi, where do you stand on the uh, soon-to-be-bountiful breasts of uh, cannabis heathen Israel Adesanya? And what do you make of the way that Faraz handled this?
1: For us is, man, you know, lately, over the past couple of years, this guy has become insufferable.
2: Yeah, he's he a problem. Made
1: a very valid point in saying that he's irresponsible. Because when you tiptoe all the way to the edge, and you sling that shade, and you get to... Deny proper culpability for it by saying, Well, I didn't actually say it. (laughs) You kind of are with the huge implication that you're really making here. Man, that's just so messed up. And I think the most important word here is irresponsible because that's bad. You know, he was the first one to rail against all those. Uh, allegations about GSP doing it. And I mean, the infamous nipple twist, that was how they explained it away. I mean, they had their own wild explanations to go along with the GSP suspicious gyno. But he seems to conveniently forget that when he's slinging allegations against a guy. My God, does he train any middleweights right now? That might be a threat to Israel Adesanya that we should be eyeballing. Or is he just out here casting this ugly shadow of doubt over Israel Adesanya just because he likes to hear himself talk? That's my question.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is more a matter of like, well, I got to put content out there. You know, this is a subject that's uh, that's out there and and people are probably asking them. And this is just another this is just like, hey, like like what Chris Rock used to say about the Howard Stern show. Right. His wife was like, I don't know how you could be on the show and talk to the guy says, listen, if I had to fill radio for five, six hours a day, this is probably what I would sound like. You know, it's like this is what a lot of people do. They end up caught up in this whole thing of like, well, I'm just talking and your mind wanders and you probably say some shit you don't mean or that you shouldn't say. And in this case, I mean, I don't know how much of this could be one of those things that he says. And then the day after he's like, you know what, I've changed my mind or whatnot. I'm not trying to give the guy any outs. I'm just trying to say that, like, this is a possibility. But I, I'm leaning more towards like, yeah, he's probably, you know, he's probably got some sort of either zero tolerance or, or very limited um, uh, amount of grace that he's willing to extend to someone. And he sees that and he's just like – he's just talking, man. He's just trying to fill up his time for his video because uh, that's what people are there for. And sometimes that's the sort of thing that brings attention, which I don't think he does that for. I don't think that's really in his personality. Like let me say something controversial. Like I I don't really think – he doesn't seem like that kind of guy. It doesn't strike me as such. But good God. I mean this is – that's the tough thing about for us is that lately, as you mentioned earlier, like he's really been – having some very, very out there opinions and thoughts that have been dreadful and surprising. And, um, you know, I I don't want to spend too much time discussing that. So seeing this isn't entirely surprising, which is even more of a disappointment, I think.
1: I mean, the only thing left really is for him to become a flat earther if he's not already.
2: Well, I mean, listen, uh, uh, what's his for Bryce Mitchell doesn't believe in gravity.
1: No, so that's uh, that's so. So very Bryce Mitchell though.
2: <laughs> I'm just I'm just not I don't know how you think things work. I don't believe in science. Well do you drive a car? I, I don't understand. You you see that computer you're using to say this right now? Do you do you do you know how that goes? You understand how that works? No? Oh, okay. Well, guess it doesn't matter now, does it? <laughs>
1: I'll tell you what does matter, at least right now, and that is the investigation into suspicious betting surrounding a recent UFC fight just last weekend. Now, Victor, I gotta know, were you one of the guys that raced to your phone or raced to your computer to get in on the rapidly changing line? On Nerd and Becca when he was fighting Derek Minner, because you are one of the ones that picked Derek Menner.
2: No, man. Listen, I um I, I don't watch anything live as we all know. Very rarely do I get that opportunity. Uh that was last week was no exception, and I'm actually rather grateful because holy shit there was a lot of fluff to sit through. Um but- no man, I I I just saw the uh the news the other the day after and I'm like, oh okay, all right. Let I, I see what's going on now. Fine. It's not a good look.
1: Yeah, let me tell these fine folks what actually happened. So in the hours just two, three hours in the lead up before the fight, Nerd and Becca went from being a minus two twenty <laughs> favorite to minus 420. So the <laughs> line on him moved 200 <laughs> points in a matter of two to three hours, and oh my goodness, you know that's a real head scratcher. That's that's a line movement that just does not happen. Now ESPN first reported that U.S. Integrity, an organization that identifies suspicious behavior by analyzing changes in betting data against a benchmark of normal betting activity they reported the irregular betting activity a few hours ahead of the event Mm -hmm. now minner opened the fight by throwing three low leg kicks with his right leg he then switched stances And then he threw a left kick to the body of Nerd and Becca after throwing that kick. Menner staggers backward, he clutches his left knee. Seconds later, he attempted another body kick with that left leg. It left him doubled over against the fence, apparently in a great deal of pain. Nerd and Becca, he being the opportunist that he is, he takes advantage of this injured guy and he finishes the fight with an onslaught of strikes at the one minute and seven mark of the first round. Referee Mark Smith waves off the fight. menner goes, sits on his stool with his leg extended. Now, according to ESPN's report, not only did late money come in on Nerd and Becca, but there was significant action on prop bets for the fight to end via knockout in the first round and under the and the under being uh, 2.5 rounds. So before Saturday's event. And Becca had zero finishes in his three previous UFC outings. Oh, good for him. While there have been no reports <clears throat> as to what exactly that injury that Miner had sustained was, or who might have known enough about it to place bets against him, it has to be noted that Minner's coach, James Krause, Mm-hmm. Hosts, hosts a gambling podcast mm-hmm. and runs a Discord channel focused on betting on UFC fights. Now, after ESPN's report, the UFC offered this statement to you uh, to Yahoo Sports, and I quote: "Like many professional sports organizations." UFC works with an independent betting integrity service to monitor wagering activity on our events. Our betting integrity partner, Don Best Sports, a leading global supplier of real time betting data for North American sporting events, will conduct a thorough review of the facts and report its findings. At this time, we have no reason to believe either of the athletes involved in the bout or anyone associated with their teams behaved in an unethical or irresponsible manner. Now, unlike U.S. Integrity, this other company, Mm -hmm. Don Best Sports offers paid and I quote, guaranteed and non-guaranteed betting picks on several sports. Now, they don't provide ufc picks but i'm gonna say yet because the ufc seems to have not a whole heck of a lot of integrity but it is not lost on me that the their betting integrity uh partner offers paid guaranteed and non-guaranteed betting pits on picks on other sports i just that made me laugh i'm sorry anyways in (coughs) mid-october The UFC updated its code of conduct and I use the words code of conduct very, very loosely to prevent fighters from betting on UFC fights. The memo also noted this and I quote, athletes should also be aware that in most states, these same prohibitions apply to some or all of relatives living in the same household as an athlete. And athletes coaches managers handlers athletic trainers medical professionals and staff of or any other person with access to non-public information regarding participants in any mma match now as a way to compare movement of betting lines on fight day the second most significant change for the UFC Vegas 64 fight fight card was in the Miranda Maverick versus Shauna Young fight. In that contest, according to Best Fight Odds, Maverick started the day as a negative 742 favorite and closed as a negative 827 favorite. But let's just put this out there and we discuss this ourselves, how shitty... That matchmaking was that Shani Young should not only not be in the UFC, she probably shouldn't be a fighter in general. It should be noted that Miranda whipped her ass 30 to 26 on all three of the judges' scorecards. Everyone knew as soon as the match was made how it was going to go, and it went exactly that way. So by citing that particular stat, in my opinion, is ridiculous because we all knew it. The second they made the fight.
2: You know what, man, I'm still wondering, I don't know why this was even a thing, right? But like, how did we find out about Krauss and his little business and hustle? (laughs) You remember that he was in, he was doing an interview. Yeah. All right. And he was talking very freely, very gingerly, as is his right to do so. About how he was doing this, and how even if you, he he had an arrangement with people where like he'll make the bets for you, you give him your login info, and he only takes a cut. You got the Discord with the gambling, you got the podcast with the gambling, and he's coaching a guy that's going into a fight with a bum leg. Do you understand the optics, folks? Do you see why Steffi is so so adamant about this? And she's right, and you are right, Steffi. What the hell is this? Mm-hmm. It ain't look. Even if there was no malice, it doesn't look good because then you got to start asking questions. Was Minner in on some sort of fix? Uh, why did he keep kicking if his legs were messed up and compromised? I mean, you know, listen. There's a million ways this can go. And I want to be very careful here because I'm not accusing anybody of fixing a fight. Okay, there are many ways you can fix a fight. Sometimes the fighters themselves don't even have to know. The ref could be crooked. Somebody from the commission checking stuff backstage could be crooked. The judges might be crooked. You never know. Maybe it's one person going into business for themselves and their own coach and teammates don't know about it. Whatever you want to make of that. But, folks, this... This is a hell of a thing to have happen, especially when you just had that edict that there's no gambling on fights. And it's just like, you know, you, you have a fighter who didn't have any. Well, there's no evidence of Minner having any sort of gambling. But his coach, well, he kind of put his business out there on front street and all for what? Did his business increase significantly, significantly as a result? Did this get more popular? Did that really help? And if so, was it worth it? What does the UFC do now? I mean, they can't get rid of him. They're not going to ban him from the events. I mean, Jesus Christ! They let Lloyd Irvin cover and, and, and corner people. You know what I mean? This is like this is like Twitter trying to moderate my content, dude. The mods are asleep. Go home. Don't try to censor my shit. There's nobody in charge of this. There's no there's no conduct uh, enforcement of any sort. There's nothing of any significant value that the UFC can do at this point because if they do. You know, I mean, if, you know, if there are things they probably could, but I feel like they probably and this is a point that Luke Thomas raised at one point that it seems like maybe they're just afraid of overstepping their bounds just a tad by being too harsh with their uh, penalties with stuff, which is maybe why. Or maybe they're just lazy. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure that that's in any way uh what could happen? But I'll tell you this. I don't think there's going to be any consequences unless you get the feds involved. I don't know if you remember that Korean dude a couple of years ago who uh, he he was being blackmailed or, or either that or threatened. He went to the cops and said, hey, man, I threw a fight. I was in the UFC. I got released. And prior to that, I threw a fight because I had some people that were going to hurt me or people around me and not necessarily in that same order if I didn't throw that fight. And, you know, like, again, you, you don't need to know in that moment. You don't need to know who is, is – you can't really tell what party is involved in any sort of shenanigans. But even if there weren't any, it doesn't look good. And unless there's any significant movement, unless somebody gets a little uh, – somebody gets a bug up their ass and they try to make some sort of movement to get law enforcement involved, I don't think we're really going to see anything out of this.
1: I, I agree with you. And the the other thing, we just had – TJ Dillashaw, that whole mess with him, basically knowing since April that he was he was uh, fighting a bum a bum shoulder, that his shoulder had slipped out of place twenty times at least in those months since April. Even told the referee backstage, please let the fight go on if my shoulder slips, which it's gonna happen. And, yeah, and, and then the most important part here, in my opinion, their code of conduct. Where is that code of conduct when you have guys like Mike Perry going around slinging the N-word? There's so many reasons to enforce your code of conduct, but only when it affects the UFC's bottom line does it matter. When it's an inconvenience to the UFC proper, that's the only time... The- code of conduct gets me out <sighs> you
2: know i don't right. yeah
1: you know i'm right
2: is anybody like seriously do they even at least have a figurehead do they even care to pretend anymore no nah, and besides look i mean i don't know you brought up the mike perry thing but i don't know man some people think differently about that i personally don't encourage that behavior but i heard his manager abe kawa a man who never fails he went out there and said that that was a selling point. That's huge. He said that's a star-making element for a white guy to be able to say the N-word. And I believe in him.
1: And also, I mean, how many fighters are out here loved up with noted war criminal uh, Katerov?
2: Well, Maybe I mean, Madsen listen.
1: Katerov <laughs> is out here <laughs> with all these fighters and the UFC just looks the other freaking way. This guy is out here with kill squads exterminating whole swathes of people.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I think that's the kind of thing where, like, if the UFC says says, don't take money from dictators, they're going to be like, well, shit, pay us more. And they're not willing to do that. So, you know, those extracurriculars, that that remains on the table, it seems.
1: I mean, code of conduct.
2: Code of conduct. Yeah, Mm -hmm. whatever. Indeed. Indeed. There's no such thing. Oh, well, that's nice. Ah oh, boy. Well, we're gonna move on to another form of violence, the kind that is um not something that we're very familiar with around these parts. Uh it's a very distinct and very different kind of thing. It's the implied kind. Um okay, let's just drop the, the <laughs> I can't I can't keep much of a straight face for much longer on this one. Okay, here's the deal. City kickboxing, the whole crew rolled up earlier this week to be on the MMA hour. They're at it. they're gonna be fighting at Madison Square Garden. It only makes sense that they get everything possible, all hands on deck, to get the promotion for this weekend in full gear. He stopped by Hawani's shop and they ended up having a chat and they told a very interesting story about how head coach Eugene Behrman was motivating the fighters after they had had some really intense sparring sessions and were absolutely exhausted. That led them performing in a manner that he didn't really think was to their level or satisfactory. So he ends up bringing a bunch of knives or maybe just one knife. It depends on who's telling the story. And (laughs) this wasn't this wasn't quite a Fabia type situation, but. I mean, I don't know, at least the guys were taking it in jest. It doesn't seem like anybody was any significant danger, right? Adesanya says he's just a fucking weirdo. You know, he's like it it was it was not even like a big um, thing here with that. And then he went on to say, I'm going to train the city kickboxing forever, no matter how many times Eugene screams at me and does these sort of things. It's what separates us. So he's able to push us and prod us and break us down emotionally because there's no back door. There's no leaving. We're in it for the long haul. I'm sorry, that was actually Dan Hooker that had said that. Brad Liddell, who's also on this card, he said this. He's got, like, I've got the time. I'll stop when I stop, you know, meaning he's going to keep pushing you regardless of how long the uh, rounds have been going. I'm the one who decides when you're done, not the timer. Uh, Barron actually had something to say about this. He said, I had to show a side of me that I don't often show. I had to be tough. I had to be mean. If the sparring went on for an hour and I wasn't satisfied, I made them go for another hour. Now, Look, is it necessary? I don't know, man. I don't I don't really I don't really think that that's something that a coach ought to do. I mean, people learn and adapt and do things in their own way. I personally don't respond well to that kind of thing. I think that's a situation where maybe somebody that somebody with a knife might end up getting slapped. I don't know. It doesn't really make sense for me. But they have a different relationship. And other fighters, such as Carlos Eulberg and uh, Mike Blood Diamond, were discussing, uh, well, you know, they, they were mentioned in this too. And they didn't seem to take any of this in any way that was major. It seems like they were all like, okay, he's getting a little lamped. He's getting a little agitated. I think we can step it up now. But you don't really need to bring knives into this whole game. I guess I'm somewhat, the nicest thing I can say about it. I'm glad that at least they understand Eugene's temperament. And I'm glad that Eugene's temperament is such that he wouldn't realistically go out and actually stab somebody in there or try to cut them, as we saw with the very irresponsible Fabia video. (laughs) I don't like it, but I don't have to like it because I'm not in that scenario. And it doesn't seem like anyone was in any real danger. I would hope that Eugene, as smart as he is, would be a little more creative with his coaching methods and maybe come up with something that gets their attention that isn't quite like that. I don't know what that would be. I'm not a coach. I'm not in I don't know the fighters the way he does. I don't know what makes them tick the way he does. And He clearly has a very great rapport and a very uh very deep understanding of how they function and how they get motivated and how to really grab their attention and make things work. But <laughs> is this really it though, man? Like I'm not really I'm not really feeling it. And even Bearman Uh, ended up saying some things in the end that I felt were actually, I mean, this is kind of important. He said the boys, they weren't happy. They didn't like the way they were being treated. You could just tell. But also, we're emotional about that. If you're not happy, then that's your fault because you're not performing to the utmost of your ability to the ability that we think you can perform. That's your fault. That's not our fault. We're doing everything we can because that's what we do as coaches. We put everything into these guys. They have to do their part. They have to come into the gym and perform at 98%, 95%. They have to perform at 100 every time. That's the expectation and we push, push them to the utmost limit and it got the desired result you know what man uh, i i don't know i can't really go too hard on this because like i said no one's getting hurt everything seems to be fine the guys kind of took an ingest and whatever the hell is going on with bearman and his coaching methods and his style it's working man it's been working i mean even the guys that haven't been on winning streaks lately they've been performing at a, a at a very elite level so um you can't really fault him for that. The guy's got two champions in a stable, a couple of up-and-coming prospects, and some very, very tough guys that are stuck in the middle. I don't really see how you can look at this guy and say that his track record doesn't warrant some form of respect, and and you know that there is something, in fact, going very, very right and very proper with the way that he's running a ship. I would prefer there not be any knives, but I don't know, Steffi. Tell me, what do you think about this whole situation? And I mean, do, do you think he's going to keep doing this?
1: Yeah, I do. It's so weird. Um there there have been so many cases of weird coaching over the years. Who can forget watching BJ Penn underwater in a pool with bricks chained to him? Remember that?
2: Or okay. Whose idea was that?
1: That Well, I don't know if it was his or his coach, but I mean, <laughs> they, there's so many weird things that we've watched these guys and gals do. I mean, they're still doing cryotherapy. I don't know that there's a benefit in going into a chamber That's in sub-zero temperatures where you can only be in for like 30 seconds or 45 seconds and then coming out. I don't know that that rapid freeze is very beneficial to your muscles or any kind of recovery because there's not enough data on it. But people are so willing to do silly things like that. Um, I mean, I think it all stems from uh, the the great martial arts movies that we grew up with. Who can forget kicking bamboo poles with your shins to build up your shins? Yes, I know there is some some um some data that supports that, but the point yeah, is going to the extremes for your craft. and I think Behrman very much embraces that. But what stands out to me most is Izzy's comments. I will never train anyone else, anywhere else. I do not care. He inspires blind devotion like that from um, one of the pound for pound guys. Uh, he inspires that same devotion from the pound for pound guy and Volkanovsky. I mean, they are all in it for the long haul. They're lifers with him. So they must have that blind faith and devotion in him because something is working. I don't know. And I'm, I'm not a subscriber to extreme stuff like that, but clearly they are. And that's yeah. what counts, I think, is that belief in him.
2: Yeah, I think I think it, 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 I should note here, it doesn't seem like this is a usual thing. Yeah, it does seem like this is just merely like this was a very, very massive exemption uh, exception to how they usually do things. at city kickboxing, you know, and I, I've, I've been singing this man's praises for a while, so I don't want to make it seem like this is not like me dumping on him or the crew or anything like that. I think actually we've both been quite generous in in the manner in which you discuss this matter. Um it's just like, dude, really, you don't need to bring knives into this. And I'm glad that we live in an era where, like, as you mentioned, right, the kicking the banana tree for calcification of the bone and all that, like, a lot of that stuff's been phased out. A lot of that stuff's gone the way of the dodo for good reason, right? Like The the stories that you'd hear about the guys at Shootbox trying to knock each other out for for funsies, or the stories about the grueling intensity of the training that was going on at places like the Lion's Den or Militich Systems, like, people don't need to do a lot of that stuff. All you're going to do is flame out even faster and harder. It doesn't need to have that that um that that weird you know this almost psychotic uh, level of intensity we don't need to do that in order for you to produce extraordinary results and well i mean you know look it's i think it's a fun curio and again i'm, I'm just glad nobody this was a situation where anyone seemed to have been even close to getting hurt but goddamn bro shit do something else have like bring in some dude in like a giant chicken suit or something i don't know there's better ways for you to get their attention
1: Indeed. I'm glad you brought up the Militage, uh camp because they were already phased out by the time a lot of these current fans uh, that are watching now, these very important current fans, uh, they don't know and they don't remember uh, what it was like when Militage, uh when the Militich guys were coming up, Robbie Lawler, Tim Sylvia, uh, Jens Pulver, and There's a very famous story about how bad they bullied Tim Sylvia for being Mm -hmm. fat and being this big lumbering oaf. And he wasn't very athletically gifted. They built that man. They built that machine. Mm -hmm. But they built it. By being mean and hateful and just awful to him, they crushed him and then they built him up from scratch. But the point there is that they crushed him down to nothing. And little Jim's pulver was the one that basically came to his rescue and was like, hey, man, we're, we're going too far here. Yeah. And, you know, the, you, you look at camps like uh, Black Zillions and their many iterations to now, the com- what are they, Combat Clubs? I can't even remember.
2: Oh, man. Um, and, <laughs> where, where do we begin with their names, you know? Kill Cliff.
1: Yeah, but <laughs> the thing is, is that Henry Hooft is the, the, the one factor that remains the same. And they have Meat Night, you know, where they mm-hmm. go hard in the paint no headgear, full on sparring, no headgear being the most important thing. It's a guarantee that that kind of hard sparring combined with actual fights where you're getting hit in the head, you're going to endure some sort of brain damage, whether it be CTE or not. Getting hit in the head like that. Over a sustained period, a career maybe, 10, 12 years, which is a typical career now. Even at the lower ends, they'll keep fighting on the regionals for 10, 12, 15, sometimes 20 years. Look at Arlovsky. Arlovsky has a 20-plus career. You start fading. You start disintegrating. So, anyways, this is a tangent that I've gone off on. So, I'm going to rein it back in because... We're going to talk about UFC 281, but first, let's take a look back at last week. Victor, you got to figure out what's going wrong
2: here. Oh, Cause... we know what's going on wrong. It's me, dude. I don't know what the hell I'm doing.
1: Oh, because um, Mookie and I went three and two each for different reasons, and you went one and four. So Is that bad? Yeah.
2: Oh, Okay. So Bookie
1: and I picked Nerd and Becca. You did pick Derek Minner, so you clearly were not in on the uh, the big no. Calderol with the betting scandal.
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then that's true. The
1: one you did get right though, and that was one that we all picked, was Grant Dawson. Yay! And that was a good fight, and the way yes. that he beat up Marco Madsen, woof! Get Grant Dawson. Somebody in the top 15. And I don't care if everybody's mad that he called out Tony Ferguson. Listen, Tony Ferguson is a good call out because you know what Tony Ferguson has? He has a number 14 ranking. He's also deteriorating and he has a name. It's a very smart call out. Like it or not, it's a very smart call out. Where you and I faltered, we picked Nate Manis over Tegero Limbekoff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Nate Menace is clearly not built for 125. He looked like mm-hmm. the machinist.
2: Yeah, that um, that didn't go as as uh, as perhaps he would have wanted. Definitely. Yeah, what it is.
1: And the way I beat you and Mookie both was by picking Neil Magni over Daniel Rodriguez, and I was right. All the way down to the way I said it was going to happen, that he was going to use range and those kicks, and that Daniel Rodriguez did not have very good takedown defense. And who was right? I was right on all fronts.
2: You know what? You know what? A friend of mine literally called Neil Magny. He said, "This, this. He said, This motherfucker is the gatekeeping Grim Reaper.'" And I <laughs> had to laugh at that because it's like John John Fitch was like the guy who was like the impossible wall. You know, for a while it was like that's a nice young prospect he you got coming up in the ranks over there. It'd be a shame if something happened to him. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. and, he, and he ruined a lot of dreams for a lot of dudes for a little while. But it's like now I think Neil Magny. If he's, uh, maybe he'll break through. Maybe this is it. You know, maybe this is the part where he hits his stride. I don't know. Maybe this is where he makes a serious run at top contendership and is able to be a little more consistent, um, racking up some wins and and showing even more growth and development. I don't know. Or maybe he just feasted uh, on the experience and limitations that Daniel had. Maybe it could be a combination of both those things. I don't know.
1: Or maybe it's the UFC playing the role of Lucy holding the football and getting ready to snatch it away from you as you go to kick your field goal because Neil Magny is the ultimate Gicta.
2: Mm.
1: A guy I can't trust anymore. Because you know why? When you go and you pick him in a fight that's basically supposed to be a gimme, he loses that one. And when you don't pick him in a fight that you can't possibly imagine him winning, he blows it out the park. So, you know, the ultimate up, And then we all blew it by picking Marina Rodriguez. Wow. How about Amanda Lemos?
2: Yeah. uh, I think that erases a lot of the concerns that people had due to her loss to Andrade. Uh, I don't know, man. It's what it is. I I kind of expected things to go much differently, obviously, because I picked Marina. But Amanda showed that she had the... uh, Discipline and the range and the timing to make it work and she put on some very big damage and it paid off So, you know hats off to her
1: a lot of people were uh, Upset with the stoppage listen, I can Understand the desire to give marina two or three more seconds. I'm for that. However, that's it I don't think that amanda limo was gonna stop and that the end result was gonna be that marina Rodriguez was gonna lose that fight Bing, bang, probably boom. And I, I think she was going to lose it by being knocked out. I mean, Amanda staggered the shit out of her and then had her pinned up against the fence. Were, were all those punches landing? No, but enough were getting through for, for them to stop the fight. Maybe two or three seconds too early. But again, I think that the end result was going to be the same. All right. So our standings. Lucky is still in the lead, 124, 74 and three. I am five behind him, 119, 79 and three. Victor... <laughs> victor is 11 behind me at 108
2: 19 why, why are you laughing at this shit like it doesn't make sense do you not expect do you understand do you see how zen i am about this like yes i know my place in the universe
1: <laughs> oh, my oh man so we are gonna get to ufc 281 we are only gonna pick the main card in the in- interest of time because even though this fight card is amazing it is Fourteen freaking fights, and there are some really, really good ones. But again, we don't have a whole heck of a lot of time, so we are going to do just five fights. Main card. We're going to start with Claudio Puelas taking on Dan Hooker. What an amazing fight to open the main card with, Victor. What are you doing?
2: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to tell you know. what I'm
1: doing. I'm going with Claudio the, um Mookie is also going that way. It's not that I don't think Dan Hooker can get it done. I think Dan Hooker has a mental roadblock that is just creating all sorts of havoc for him. I, he has also been in the game for quite some time, despite his youth. His fight age is a lot more deceptive than you might think. And he just... Has a lot of holes in his defense. Now, I'm taking a big risk on Claudio Puelas, but I think that maybe his grappling uh, might be able to seal the deal here. I don't know. I just got a feeling. So Richard, well
2: look, when you when you got when you got two wins by knee bar in a row, mm-hmm. especially one of those being against a very experienced and savvy grappler like Clay Guida, then yeah, I mean you're definitely on to something. You got something cooking there that 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 other people might not have, uh they might not be hip to. And Claudio is definitely an extraordinary talent. I'd like to see uh really what his ceiling is because I don't think he's reached it yet. I think maybe, you know what, maybe he does take it. Shit, I don't know, fine, whatever. I'll go with Claudio as well
1: all right okay so next up we have oof, the veteran frankie edgar taking on chris gutierrez now we got to see a face off yesterday a video clip that circulated and i could not help but notice the absolute disrespect chris gutierrez paid to frankie edgar frankie edgar and him were talking shit to each other and i mean gutierrez didn't even blink And it visibly frustrated Frankie. And the other thing I noticed was that Frankie had to restrain himself from tiptoeing because I saw him (laughs) rocking back and forth from tiptoeing to get up into Chris Gutierrez's face. I noticed another thing that the crowd pop that normally um, is there for Frankie was very, very diminished this time around because I think people already know the outcome of this fight. I am going to take Chris Gutierrez. Mookie is as well. I'm pretty sure my brother Victor is not going to put blind faith in Frankie Edgar.
2: Hell no. We ain't even talking about this shit no more. Chris Gutierrez. Next question.
1: <laughs> now we get to the fight. Oh, These last three fights are so good. But this one right here, very near and dear to my heart because I am the ultimate Dustin Poirier stand, The captain Of the diamond stand wagon. He has taken on Michael Chandler. This is a dangerous fight for him. Michael Chandler is not in his prime, but you know what is always prime? His power. And he's got a lot of it. And he's got it in his feet, too. But Dustin Poirier has excellent boxing and durability for days and days and days. And while Michael Chandler can take a licking and keep on ticking, I think Dustin Poirier maintains himself a lot better in the long haul and in the the outstretches of the fight in the fourth and fifth round. I think Dustin uh, has a much better semblance of being together and having some cardio left in him than Michael Chandler does. I think this goes to a grueling decision, but I think Dustin Poirier takes it. Rookie is also picking dustin poirier victor give me your thoughts
2: i am also conflicted on this one because the thing is man i've, I've kind of counted chandler out a few times and then i go back and i'm like jesus christ i mean you know i don't care about looking stupid i mean that's that's part of my brand but at the same time <laughs> it's like shit i, I how many times i'm gonna get this wrong you know he keeps surprising me with some of his performances and Dustin's not done. He's not shot. He can certainly stuff shots and all that. But what if Chandler ends up mixing his striking and his wrestling so effectively that he ends up taking him down a bunch, and uh, you know, either that or just just trying to wear Poirier down to the point where you know it just it just becomes uh, overwhelming. I'm not sure. Chandler still has to make up for that size differential, but he's done that before in the past. So I don't really think that that's the kind of thing that. You know, when you look at the wins against, uh, you know, like Dan Hooker or or Benson Henderson, like he was he was dealing with a, a bit of a reach disadvantage on on. I believe both. Um, sure, I I I get it, but I think I think I'm going to. I'm gonna to have to pick against him again. I'm gonna go with Dustin.
1: All righty, yay, yay, yay!
2: I'm just I going with the, my gut.
1: I love the solidarity there. Now we get to the co event, and for me, this is the main event because I'm a big fan of Wiley Zhang, and she is taking on Carla Sparza for the strawweight belt, and oh my goodness, is there any other choice but Wiley Zhang? I don't think there is. Mookie and I are both taking her, I mean, for obvious reasons. I mean, the girl is as strong as an ox. She's fast. She's violent. She has a killer instinct. She is like a shark in freshly chummed waters when she gets someone in trouble I firmly believe she won the second fight with Rose I man this is going to be so sad to watch because I like Carla I feel bad for her that she can't get any fan support behind her but I mean come on it's got to be Wiley for me and it's definitely Wiley for Mookie Victor what do you think
2: I, yeah, man, there's no other way. Come on. I got a picture. And I don't think it's going to be much like, much like Carla's last fight. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be fun. I think it's, it's going to be Carla at least is going to try to make this as complex as possible. Being, uh, trying to get in early and often to work the clinch, negate that distance and really try to put Wiley on her ass. Tall order because Wiley is I mean, she's tough, dude. She's really tough. And she's extra, not just strong. She's not just some uh, somebody that only exclusively relies on her athleticism to get ahead. She's got technique. She's trained with some great people. She's got some good people surrounding her and being able to get her basics. She's not dumb. She's a very smart fighter. And I'm sure that her and her coaches know that they got to bring in wrestlers and people that can um, address the, the, the deficit in wrestling experience that she has compared to Carla. But I don't I don't really think that that's going to be um, the main determining factor here. I think it's going to be a matter of how does Carla solve getting inside with with the damage that she could easily receive, and you know how much is is Wiley going to have in the tank? I mean, look, it's a five rounder. Carla's got extraordinary cardio, and, and Zhang. I don't think she's. I don't think I've ever seen her even like heavily winded in any of her fights. But I got to go with the person who's a much more disciplined striker who is able to stuff the takedowns early and who was able to find and create different layers for her striking in order to be able to get there first and touch up and do more damage over time. So I'm going to go with Wiley Zhang.
1: All right. Now we're going to get to the main event. Israel Adesanya defending his middleweight title against Alex Pereira, a guy (laughs) that has once knocked him out and once beaten him by decision in their kickboxing days. Victor, Monkey, and I are both going with Israel Adesanya by, for myself by reasons of excellent fight IQ, uh, distance management, range management. He's very calm in his fights. He never gets flustered. He makes great adjustments on the fly. I I, I just can't imagine a lot will be put into the the very short MMA career that Pereira has i think people are forgetting how measured Israel can be when he's in trouble and how he figures out ways around it so that's uh that's my reasoning so victor what do you
2: The one thing that Adesanya has most in common with John Jones is how deceptively strong they are. Mm -hmm. People look at them and they think, oh, well, that guy doesn't have that much muscle mass, blah, blah, blah. Then they get in there and they go, holy shit, this man is technically farm equipment. Like, that is the kind of thing. That is the kind of thing that you kind of look at and you go, okay, well, there's one thing against Pereira, right? Second... This is an MMA fight. I don't care what happened in those kickboxing matches because this is going to be – that you have that added dimension and have we seen Pereira working on the ground? I don't really know. Will this be a fight where there's going to be an extended amount of exchanges on the ground? I don't really think that's the case. And Pereira, to his credit, training with Glover. Got some really good guys in in his camp and getting some uh, very uh, sage advice on his own. Glover uh, seems to be a pretty decent coach and and has a pretty strong group around him. That's helped him get to the top as well. So uh, that's that's fine. But you know what? Let's revisit those kickboxing fights for a minute because everyone keeps talking about that knockout. And I got to keep stressing it, folks. If you've seen that fight or at least some of the snippets and highlights, Adesanya was winning that fight until that knockout happened. What are the odds of that happening again after all the time, all the growth that they've experienced? What do you really think is going to happen for them to replicate that again? A lot of things got to happen, and I don't think he makes those happen because I don't think that Israel will give him the opportunity to make those things happen. To me, it's a non-starter. I think it's going to be a tough fight, a very brilliant technical exhibition. Um, I don't know that it's going to be the sensational firefight that the UFC would hope for it to be, but I do think that it's going to be – a a very, very uh, good fight from a, again, from just purely a technique perspective. And I'm going to go with Adesanya.
1: All right. So we all are going exactly the same with Claudio Puelas, Chris Gutierrez, Dustin Poirier, Wiley Zhang, and Israel Adesanya. On that note, we're going to wrap up this show. Do me a favor. Follow this young man on Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> at Vic M. Rodriguez, he's an awesome follow, and he's funny, and he's engaging, and he actually replies back. So if you're looking to have conversation, Vic's your guy. He works Yeah, with you
2: me. you want to see you want to see Twitter meltdown in real time, and take the kind of glee that I'm taking from it. Yeah, you you, you definitely want to hear it.
1: Exactly. So that's at Vic M. Rodriguez, and follow him on Instagram. That's Victor Sinister Rodriguez on Instagram. Outstanding. Travel photography, food photography. I mean, just if you're foodie, if for nothing else, if you like food, go check it out. <laughs> now, Mookie is the managing editor over at SB Nation's Field Goals website. So if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, get over there, commiserate with him. Victor and I work for Bloody Elbow. You can follow our work over there. And if you listen to the pre-recorded outro, you can find out where you can listen to this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow Presents podcasts. So until next time, please stay safe.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA section, the 6th Round Post Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Brooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show money, guest podcasts, the Hey Not The Face podcast, and radio style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody and as always on BloodyElbow.com.